If you would, take your Bibles and turn it to the book of Acts in chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Here we continue to see from this text the powerful message of God, which has been going out now for years through different people, through different circumstances. He has shown himself to be all-powerful, unrelenting in his love, and this message becomes increasingly more controversial as it starts to reach the edges of cities, the edges of families, the edges of houses, and the edges of the world. And in some part, it may look like God is getting close to being done with what he sat out to do. He's given his Messiah to the people that they've been hoping for. The Messiah has proven himself as the Son of God, the very same powerful God himself incarnate. The Messiah has accomplished all that was needed to be accomplished through his death and his resurrection, fully giving full life to his people. And it seems like God's work needn't happen any other way. And it seems like God's work was coming to an end as the world was being reached. So you think of the rest of the story of God's conquest would basically play out like this, taking over people's hearts bit by bit. We saw this with Saul. We saw this with Samaria. We saw this with Judea. But if this is the case, the trajectory of the story is pretty narrow in its pursuit. At the beginning, the church was mostly made up of Jews. Yet in the Old Testament, it says that God's kingdom is going to be reaching all peoples in all places. Even in the New Testament, he was talking about how he would even bring in different people than what anyone would ever see. And so we encounter Acts 10 this morning. For nine chapters before, the church was certainly exploding. It was hard. It was painful. There was persecution. But even with that, like Ryan preached this last Wednesday night, there was joy and true peace throughout the church as it was reaching the edges And you couldn't get into Christ's church unless you came, as some people were increasingly disposing on others. You couldn't get into Christ's church unless you came through what looked like a hallway or a foyer of Judaism. So even at its beginning, as it was taken over bit by bit, there were certain factions within the church that would say, this is how you become a Christian, this is how you become a Christian, in ways that almost seemed to distort what we would know when we read the scriptures as true. Unless you had a physical rite of passage through circumcision. So even if you were outside of the Jewish nation or the Jewish people, you could become a member of the church, but you had to do certain things. These people were looked at as unclean, unworthy, separate, unholy, not not deserving of God's love like those within the church had. And so we see here in Acts 10, God busting down this barrier. There's one barrier left, it seems. Houses, places, geography, and now a whole new people group that God is going to reach. What's happening here in this text is God shows himself to be continually merciful, even more gracious than we've ever seen him by saving people who had been known for centuries as common or unclean. So let's pick up in the first verse of chapter 10. I'll be reading all 48 verses at once. So if there's any time to listen, it's right now to God's word as it's read. God says to us in a word in chapter 10, verse 1, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. 
A devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared up at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa to bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among them, those who attended him, and having related everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. And the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour of the day, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean do not call common. And this happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once in heaven. Verse 17, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry to to Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, there are men looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one whom you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by an angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. And the next day he rose and he went away with them. Some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. And Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying at my house At the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer had been heard and your alms had been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we all hear in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him 
and done, does what is right and acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was in him. And we are all witnesses of that, that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not not to all of the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness, and every one who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While people were still, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Verse 45, and the believers from among the circumcised who God, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is the word of the Lord to us. You could spend your whole life looking at this text in particular and just marveling at God's grace. Through this section, God is showing and saying and exemplifying that he has shows no partiality for anyone in front of him. His love is from him and his love is because of his singular desi- desire. The actionable love of the risen Lord we see in this passage is limitless. And and it's amazing as it sticks out, as you might read along in the book of Acts, you might see it bit by bit as increasingly growing limitless. There's nothing that stops God when he seeks to love his people and to save his people. Nothing can stand in his way. And so here you have the, the trajectory of Peter being sent out towards the coastal areas healing people and preaching the good news of Jesus. And there is a whole people group who the Lord wants to reveal himself to. And that's what we see in this text, where we see the Lord revealing himself to the Gentiles. And he's going to do that first by God providing a messenger. So if you're following along in an outline, the point number one is that God provided a messenger for his people to see him. We see in verse 3 that an angel appears to Cornelius at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And Cornelius sticks out because not only is he an Italian soldier who lives in Caesarea, but he's known as a devout man, one who fears God. He prays a lot. He was even charitable to God's people, the Jewish people. And the angel who saw that he was in awe of him and marveled at all the things that were happening, the angel told him that his prayers and his acts of charity, his actual actions were like a sweet fragrance to the Lord, a memorial for God's goodness. And so the angel told him to send men to a town called Joppa where Peter was and to bring Peter back and Peter was going to speak 
the things of the Lord to them. So Peter, or so Cornelius sends two servants and a soldier, tells them everything that God had revealed to him, and sends them off. It's actually kind of amazing here that Cornelius didn't go himself. You know, a devout man, a God-fear, someone who's worked on behalf of the Lord a lot of times. Then an angel appears to him and says, hey, send two people to Joppa. I can drive faster than those guys. I will get there. I know the way to Joppa. But he's obedient to what the Lord says, his zeal, even though as it steps back in his town, he is searching, he is seeking, and we see him hoping as it plays out further. And then not one day later, so they would have traveled for one day, and on the second day now, Peter receives a vision from the Lord in verse 9 of our text. So he's on a roof, which is where commonly people might go to pray. You know, some of you might have like a prayer closet at home, or you might pray in the car because no one's around you, and that's where you can really be honest with the Lord. Help, help me. And as he's on the Lord, he feels hunger inside of him so what appears that he sends other people to make him food and as the food was being made as he was sitting there in hunger he falls into a trance in the heavens it says opened up and an object looked like a large sheep with four corners being brought down and lowered by these four corners and what Peter there sees is astounding to him Because there are there represented all the animals of the world. It says that there are four-legged animals and reptiles and birds to symbolize everything. All of the animals are present mysteriously on that sheet. And this kind of freaks Peter out. Because mixed on those sheets, he would call clean and unclean animals in front of him. And Peter, being a Jew all of his life, would never associate himself with unclean things, especially unclean animals. Now, now we live in a day where we wash our dogs, you know, or we assume that our cats stand out in the rain. You know, but have you ever been around an unclean animal? Maybe a stray dog or, or cattle that just smell exactly like what they're standing in? You, you don't want to go near those animals. But what if they had been previously been deemed as unclean by God you certainly would never want to associate with them so Peter is taken back maybe this is a trick or maybe he's supposed to say no I'm not going to clean those or eat those and so when the Lord says to him kill and eat he replies no way and the Lord says what God has made clean do not call common or impure or unclean and Peter Seemingly having a thing with threes, denies three times, claims three times, has to have this vision three times shown to him. So God reveals what he's teaching Peter in this moment because he's going to use this moment in Peter's life to almost open the door for Cornelius and his household and for the rest of the Gentiles. And so Peter here is left in verse 17 perplexed. And it's hard to blame him, right? One, how many times have you seen a vision where animals might be leaping around on sheets being brought down from the heavens? I would need a moment to think about that. Especially if I didn't immediately understand it to where it had to be done three times. And so Peter is perplexed here with this vision. 
He's thinking about what all this might mean and and what implications it would have on his life. By Jewish law, Peter would be reminded and remind himself that certain foods were forbidden to be eaten. And God is calling him to kill, not sacrifice, but kill and eat, take in to himself. Food laws made it difficult not only to live, but food laws made it difficult to actually associate with other people. And we see this even now, not not in the same way, like we're forbidden, but for those of you who have food allergies, it's actually hard to go over to someone's house, right? Because something might trigger. And so it might be just easier to stay where you are or bring them into your house. And so as the Jews were trying to follow this dietary law, they actually started separating themselves, not just in the for, say, or for the sake of holiness, but actually distancing themselves from God's people, the Gentiles. They wouldn't even want to be around them. They wouldn't even want to go into their house. So with this, the Gentiles were often seen, if not always seen, as completely unclean people because they would have consumed, they would have eaten, they would have even hung around or wore things that were deemed unclean. I mean, you think of just verses earlier in chapter 9, the very end, Peter stayed with a tanner who literally hangs around dead animal skins. It's like God is, is bit by bit softening Peter's hearts to what he has already commanded the apostles, what he's already commanded the world, that when he calls something clean, it's clean. And when he calls something unclean, it's unclean. And here that tanner was not unclean. And here this food he's providing for Peter is not unclean. Peter ought to know this. As written later in in Mark in chapter 7, God actually teaches, Jesus actually teaches, that the dietary laws are done away with. Because what's important is not what you put in your mouth, what Jesus says, what's actually important about your life. Not your clothes, not your house, not your car but actually what comes out of your heart. What, what happens on the inside is actually what God desires to see play out. Now, some scholars might look at this text starting in verse 15 and 16 or even earlier, 13 to 17. Some scholars disagree with each other. Some, some might make it just about foods. So what God is teaching Peter is just exclusively about food. And some would say it's actually exclusively about, you know, this is... This is an illusion, a vision of how Peter now should go to the Gentiles. And what I think is happening is it's just a showcase of God doing both of those. They're intrinsically related. And in Leviticus 20, the laws of clean and unclean are linked precisely with Israel's separation for the rest of their nations. And so when God breaks down the food barrier, he also breaks down the national barrier And Peter can partake of what was previously forbidden and he can align himself with people who were previously outcasts. One simply could not dine in a Gentile's home without inevitably disobeying God's laws and that is done away with by the words of God. Mark 7 plays this out where Jesus dealt with the problem of clean and unclean. So Peter ought to know this, right? But either way, God gives him a vision, preparing his heart, preparing his mind, preparing his actions as immediately he has to learn from that vision and actually play it out because he's going to encounter unclean people. So in verse 19, as Peter is perplexed at what the vision means, the men sent by Cornelius arrive at the gate of Joppa and were asking for him. It says, Behold, three men, or the Spirit then says to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. 
So as Peter, we would imagine, as he's thinking about what has just been revealed to him, maybe marveling at the fact that the Lord just spoke to him through this vision and he's pondering of what it means, there's an immediate almost knock on the door. And the Spirit says, go and welcome them in because I've sent them to you. So Peter does what he is told. He meets with the men and he brings them in. A, a sweeter glimpse of how he's turning more and more towards the Gentiles. And it's amazing how when they talk about, so now these men who are going to Joppa and are talking with Peter, it's amazing how they talk about Cornelius that had sent them. So they had heard what Cornelius had heard from the Lord. So they go there and Peter says, what are you doing here? And they start describing that this man named Cornelius actually sent them there. And it's amazing what they talk about. They call him upright. They call him God-fearing in verse 22. They say that he's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. That, he was direct, that they were directed by a holy angel to send for Peter so that Peter would come and speak to them. Now, I kind of wonder, this, this isn't in the text and I didn't read it anywhere else, so, so don't even write this down. I wonder if just using those words, Peter didn't catch on to the fact that he would go to a Gentile house. You know, all those things that are said, like, who wouldn't want to go talk to those guys, right? A devout man, a house full of people, the Lord himself sent an angel and told him to come it's like yeah I'll, I'll jump on that train you know Peter's on this speaking circuit he's going throughout all the countryside speaking to the Jews of them to repent and believe so maybe this is just another opportunity but what there's a little twist there of what God had just revealed to Peter in this vision is immediately being played out you know oftentimes we want to digest the things of the Lord we want to set on it for a long time the Lord tells us to do something and it's like you know, we want like two weeks to study for a final. We, we want two weeks to react to God's word, don't we? It says to do this, you know, obey your mother and father. Well, let's wait for vacation. And immediately God orchestrates all these things. Nevertheless, he's not an unkind man, Peter, so he brings these people into his house. And then in verse 24, it says, on the following day, so it's day four now. Day one was the vision, the travel time. Day four, they're going back. Day four, they enter Caesarea. And Peter here meets Cornelius. And he was, and Cornelius was by all accounts, excitingly expecting Peter to come. We see that because in verse 25, Peter's invited all of his family and all of his close friends. Like this house is jam-packed. This is the time where you watch the Super Bowl, where all of your friends are there, and they were expecting something more incredible. For whatever reason, they knew that God was going to uniquely speak to them through this person of Peter. And we see here this, this wonderful common grace that God gives to people where in some ways it looks like an instant, like Saul, where he just speaks to Saul and his soul is illuminated. But here, Cornelius had been longing for the Lord, knowing that there was something out there, knowing that he could search and find as, as if the embers of Hebrews 11 comes out. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And here we see Cornelius for days and days before that was seeking the Lord, and the Lord never leaves those people who are seeking without his presence. The Lord shows up to to Cornelius's life through the person of Paul and he is excited and pumped about whatever Peter is going to say that has no idea what Peter is going to say and more than likely he doesn't expect that Peter is going to say what he's about to say so Peter and Cornelius were talking Cornelius falls down the feet and Peter goes no no I'm just a man and he gets him up 
And he walks into a room, and what does Peter see? Verse 27. A room full of unclean people. A room full of Gentiles. A room full of people who Peter, at least days later, years later, would never have associated himself with. The climax, I think, of the story is right here because what if Peter does like Jonah does, where he just jets? You know, the Lord says, Jonah, go preach to Nineveh, and Jonah goes, nope, and jumps in the sea, right? Peter maybe could do that, freaking out just as much, but what Peter does here is he actually reacts to the vision that God has given him. Peter receives the word of the Lord, and even though at first it's perplexed, he now has this moment where he can act out on all that God says. And in verse 28, it says that Peter said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or, visit, or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean so I was sent for you I came without objection just a just a great picture of the Lord sanctifying his own people where the Lord speaks his word is true and by the transforming work and the illumination of the spirit people are changed and now not just changed for themselves but changed for a whole people group and then it says that Peter says I ask then why you sent for me he kind of knew why they sent for him but he basically says hey you you guys know that I shouldn't be here But the Lord told me to be here, so what is it that you want? Peter asks why he's been brought there. It seems like a tense moment, and there is a whole lot of gospel significance here in this text. The significance in building up an unreached people by bringing in a messenger. Previously, Peter wouldn't have allowed himself to be in this situation. But the compelling part of the gospel is that we mostly don't have anything in common except our unrighteousness or our sinfulness. We often want to separate ourselves from other people, right? Tall people over here, short people over here. You go to junior high, you have the jocks, the chess club, the hacky sack group. We want to align ourselves with people that may look like us and distance ourselves from people that don't look like us. But actually what the scriptures say is that we all, all of us, have one thing in common. We're we're sinful. We are the only ones who are not holy. God is the only one who is holy. And it's through that that God actually shows us that only through his righteousness can we even be living in a joyful way kind of sad when you think about all the things that divide us but here according to God's sovereign will according to his desire he is bringing people together not under their similarities but under his common grace in particular grace Jesus's love God's love shows no partiality the scripture says God's love stops at nothing to bring people in and their only requirement is they they must be sinful because that's the only thing that we are separated by God and his holiness and the scriptures say that we all need the same thing in our sinfulness we need the redeeming revelation the redeeming salvation of Jesus God's love showed no partiality to us in our past and it certainly shows no partiality to Cornelius in his household and that's what Peter is about to tell them here Peter is about to give the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles And we think that that's not uncommon before, like God has brought in foreigners. You know, we think of Rahab, brought her in. We think of just chapters before the Ethiopian unit, brought him in. But uniquely, 
The gospel here is staking claim on the Gentiles as a unit. Previously, it had taken claim on the Jews in Jerusalem or the half-Jews in Samaria, or the individual God-fears like the eunuch. But here, now it's come for the unclean, the common people. God's love comes to the ungodly. And like we've seen before, that is not a barrier for him. Peter asks why he's been summoned, and Cornelius explains there in verse 30, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So God sends a messenger to Cornelius. And secondly, we see in this text that Jesus was proclaimed to the Gentiles. Verses 34 through 43 show and say that Jesus, no one else but Jesus, was proclaimed to the Gentiles. Peter, it says, opens his mouth and says, truly, I understand. Think about that. He understands the gravity of this situation. He understands the truth that God is showing through him. He understands what separates them from a holy God. Truly, I understand God shows no partiality, no favoritism. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is what? Acceptable to him. Anyone, don't miss the word, anyone. Who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. What a tremendous feeling that must have been like to convey and also a tremendous feeling to receive. That you can be accepted because God shows no partiality. A Gentile would not have become a Jew, would not have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. A Gentile only needed to go to Christ, not through another path, not through another test, not through another circumstance. A Gentile could go straight to the cross. And be accepted by Jesus. Evidently Peter had not before perceived this fact. But now he is proclaiming it boldly to all those who could hear. In verse 36. He starts playing out what he means by this. That God shows no partiality. As for the word that he sent to Israel. Here in verse 36. Peter is saying that God sent God's message to the Israelites. First, and that message is peace through Jesus Christ. So the overarching message of the Old Testament and the New Testament scriptures is that God, through Jesus Christ, grants peace, rising up Israel, raising Israel in this circumstance where they had previously been set apart to be a light to the world. Now they are like a baston of light to the world. The light of God's goodness and righteousness and grace is now for everyone to see, especially now for the Gentiles. And Peter is telling this crowd that they know that, that they've seen these events. Verse 37, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea? The ways of the Lord are, are not unknown to the people of the world. God has shown himself through general revelation, but also just through word of mouth here, and through the prophets and through the preachers, this particular revelation that Jesus is the Lord of all and the bringer of peace. And so Peter starts to preach a sermon that if you look at it and take a step back it it seems like it's a pretty familiar sermon if you've ever read the book of Mark. Peter's message to Cornelius's household begins with the shock that they can be saved and it starts right after the baptism of John the Baptist. So what we see here in this text in these combined verses is that there's this framework that Peter is preaching that looks awfully like the book of Mark if you go read it later. So 
if like eight verses are not good enough for you, there are chapters and chapters that display what Peter is preaching. Peter concisely summarizes Jesus' ministry to these Gentiles. Look in verse 38. He says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went, this Jesus went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed and under Satan's binding. Verse 39, all of the people were witnesses. He and his works were known throughout Jerusalem and Judea. And even within that, even within all of his good works and good ways. Verse 39, Jesus was arrested and crucified. It says that he was hung on a tree. And that's significant. Even, even in Gentiles, they, they might have heard of the curses that happen with people who die on a tree. Deuteronomy 21 says that if a man is, has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him on the same day for a hanged man is cursed by God. And here Peter is saying in all of the good works, in all of the anointing of God, in all of the things that have played out in Jesus' life, he died on a tree. But on the third day, God's resurrection occurred on Jesus. God rose Jesus from the grave and Jesus wasn't just a ghost at this time like Casper who couldn't eat or drink, but it says that he was able to partake in fellowship with other people. He had resurrection appearances in verse 41, it says. He ate and drank with those. And not only did he fellowship with other people, but he also commissioned them at this point. Verse 42, he commanded them to preach and to testify that Jesus' future reign was that of a judge. He came as a king and was a king. But one day he will come back as a judge. And you do not want to be on the wrong side of that. But anyone... Remember, anyone at the top can listen and hear this message and take heed of it. And here Peter bookends his proclamation that he, Jesus, is the Messiah of whom the prophets bore witness to. Now, just, just a recap. There's a lot of words in there. There's a lot of sentences. But what Peter is saying is that Jesus of Nazareth is the pre-announced anointed Son of God who did Good everywhere he went, healing, commanding creation, casting out demons, and everyone knew it or saw it in some way in all of the land. And yet he was hated, arrested, put through mocking trials, and he was crucified, not just killed but hung on a tree. The most cursed way you can be mocked. He was a Jew who was even being mocked by his own people. And yet as Dr. S.M. Lockridge famously says, death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. And God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear to everyone. And after his resurrection, he was known to many and he commissioned these apostles to go out and testify his goodness. And even all the prophets give way. All of what has been said about who this Messiah would come, they're actually talking about Jesus of Nazareth. He's here in front of them. What a message this has to be. To be receiving when you're eager. What a message that Peter is conveying. Everyone who believes in him, it says, receives forgiveness. Look at verse 43. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins throughout his name. 
Peter up top had said a staggering and revolutionary statement that God shows no partiality. These people may have never heard that before, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And his point was that Cornelius did not have to earn his way into God's grace. He did not have to do anything other than believing in Jesus as his Lord. And when God gives them eyes, they can see. And when God gives them ears, they can hear. They're complete at that moment. But what God does when he loves someone is he makes their hearts new. This is what's going to be astounding to the Jews who are looking at this. Later we'll see that the, that the Spirit actually crashes down on this occurrence. And what people are staggering about is that at an instant, as if nothing could be seen, these people could be followers of Jesus. That's what God has always done in all of his followers' lives. Look, if you are reminded of Ezekiel 36, you can just write it down. In Ezekiel 36, verse 25, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of your stone from your flesh and give you a heart of new flesh. It's possible that God can stop at nothing to save people who he wants because he actually has the power to not only create someone but actually recreate their sinful heart and give them a heart that is seen by the Father as good. Now don't lose the fact that these are people who were far off, unclean. I'm always amazed, though I'm not surprised, that many people, they don't want to encounter God because they think they're too bad. To encounter the Lord. They think they're, they're, they think they're too bad to actually receive God's love. Like, like a battered dog who's too scared to come home. Friend, that is actually the opposite of what the gospel says. That because you are far off, God actually loves you and wants to bring you near him. Whether you have overwhelming sin in your past or whether you have done things in the past that are undeniably wrong and bad, the Lord can and will love you if you call on him the way that Peter is telling these people to call on the Lord. Anyone who believes in him can receive forgiveness. Anyone who believes in him can receive forgiveness. Anyone who believes in him can receive forgiveness. There are no barriers to God's love. There are no walls that are unpenetrable. And here the message that Peter go, that gives out It reminds us of Joel 2, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The the echoing effects of our scriptures are playing out in this text where, but now, uniquely, Peter is going to people who for their whole lives think of themselves as undeserving and unclean and oppressed. And Peter is telling them that anyone who believes in the Lord can be saved. So a lot of people have gathered to hear all about what the Lord had commanded people to do, but I'm betting they were not expecting that. I'm betting that they were thinking of ways that they could believe in the Lord, maybe steps that they could take. Maybe, maybe it's a process or they take a class or maybe if they do certain things to their own body or maybe say a lot of prayers like a thousand times over, then God will accept them, but that's not the message that Peter conveys. He says that you can be saved by Yahweh by believing in him. What Peter did was proclaim Jesus to the Gentiles. And that's always how God summons people to himself, isn't it? That the word goes out and the spirit works and they're just summoned or brought to the Lord very quickly. 
The word is powerful when it's spoken by God and it falls on hard hearts. I had coffee with a guy a couple of days ago and I asked him when he became a Christian. And he actually gave me an answer to a better question than I should have asked. He said, oh, you mean when did I hear God's word? About four years ago. I was like, yeah, that's exactly it. Like he heard God's word in this room on the last day of VBS. He's not even a child. But he came in with a friend who had a kid there and he heard God's word. Anyone who believes in the Lord can be saved. What a powerful moment in any of our lives where the Lord speaks and our hearts are opened up to the illuminating effect of God's love and it shakes us and it changes us. God, what God uses when he brings people to himself is an opening up of our souls and infusing this proclamation that Christ is the Lord of all. And everything else around that seems pale. Everything else around that seems like loser talk. You know, the the Old Testament says some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, some trust in their sports skills, some trust in their bank accounts. But when you have in your heart that Christ is Lord, oh, you believe in him as your savior and nothing else. And the effect of this, not going in vain, the effect of Peter talking to these people and proclaiming Christ's news to them, that he is the Lord of all and that he receives anyone who calls on his name. Thirdly, it says the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles. So first, God provided a messenger of people far off. Second, Jesus was proclaimed to the Gentiles. And then third, the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles. I tried to find another P. That would go with this. The only one I could find was pummeled. I didn't really think they had the gist of this. And fell was in the text, so why not use it? God is showing that he's impartial by bringing the Gentiles to faith. He provides a messenger. He proclaims his good news. And the Holy Spirit, as Peter was talking, falls on these people. And in verse 45... Peter's posse, remember, he brings people with him. They might be just standing around, one marveling that they're in a room with Gentiles, but then also might be reminded with joy of what Peter is saying. And they are marveling and they're astounded at the fact that says that they were amazed at all that was occurring. They could see the power of God infusing itself in these people. What must it look like? They were able to see what was happening because all of a sudden these people were able to speak in tongues and extolling God. These faraway people were immediately able to worship the true Lord. And these Jews knew exactly what that looked like and exactly what they meant or what that meant. And there they stood amazed at what God had done. In part, I think they were amazed because they're looking at unclean people in their midst and instantly they were saved by God and friend just This is just an example of you are not too far removed from God for him to be able to save you. In fact, that's the requirement, like I said before. You have to come as you are. You're not good. You're not righteous. Give you five minutes and you're not going to be perfect. And God only justifies the ungodly that we saw in chapter 9. God only saves people whom he loves and whom are not him. He calls all of us to believe in him. And we were all far away. We were all unclean. We were all unworthy. It's amazing how how songs are written. You know, those old time hymns. They always start with a condition of man and the pronouncement of the Lord. The The pronouncement of the Lord, the working of God, can't 
can't make any sense to us without us understanding just where we are in light of him. Sinful and in need of his love. And here they see this true living example of what God has done in their lives. If you're a Christian, the application for us is who around us do we know that thinks they are too far removed from God's love? Who around us can we tell of God's gift of grace and impartial love? Who can we continue to pray for and hope for that that God will speak to them in the same way that he spoke to these people? By proclaiming his word and by the spirit awakening him. Who can we think of? Too many that we'd want to admit, right? But the work continues. Peter didn't know who he was going to encounter that way. And there might be people who we continue to think about and pray to God for, for him to save. We might be used as agents in the same way that Peter was to pronounce that the king is the Lord of all. Or maybe just at the dinner table early in the morning when none of our eyes are awake. That might be the time to share what God has done in all of our lives and all of the world. They were amazed because they saw the evidence that these people were not only far off but Gentiles. And they were given the spirit of God. And nothing else was needed. They didn't have to be circumcised. They didn't have to join a club. They didn't have to have a thousand Facebook fans. God saved them immediately. Now we don't exactly know what it looked like or what what was happening when they were speaking these things or extolling God. But they were immediately acting and worshiping in such a way that other Christians were able to realize that God was indwelling them. They were regenerated or renewed. They were transformed by the Holy Spirit where he brings the individual from being spiritually dead to now spiritually alive. What a sight to see them at that moment. And so Peter immediately, look at verse 47, Peter immediately calls for their baptism. Language that is reminiscent of the Ethiopian eunuch's request for baptism Peter said, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit as we have? The answer is no. Look at what the Lord has just done. Let's baptize them. And so Peter has the people around him baptize these new believers in Christ. So he commands them to be baptized and they ask him to stay with them for a few days. No doubt, probably asking him a thousand questions. Now they have this apostle of God. And they're seen as God as Christians. He's seen as God as Christians. He's known as a teacher and a proclaimer. Don't you know that for days they would just be fueling him with questions and him being teaching all the scriptures to him. In the same way that Philip taught the Ethiopian unit from the scriptures, no doubt Peter just started opening up the word and telling them all that they needed to grow in grace of Christ. So God provides a messenger for a group of people who are longing to see whatever they were supposed to see of God's goodness. God provides a proclaimed word through his apostle. And then through that, through that message, this actuality of the Holy Spirit falls down and forever changes. Not these, these people in the room, but it looks like an open doorway to the rest of the world. Because the Jews are now seeing that, that God is not impartial. Peter is now seeing that God is not impartial, so why should he be impartial? Why should he not go to anyone who is around him and proclaim the same good news? Now, Peter would struggle with this a little bit. We see in Galatians later on that he was rebuked by others by not being fully attuned to God's message. He might have shown a little bit of partiality, maybe a little bit of favoritism, wanting to hang around people just like him. But the testimony for us all is that God shows no partiality for us and we should show no partiality for anyone else. 
Now, it's fine to have friends. I have friends, and I like to hang out with them more than my non-friends, right? Oh, but for the sake of God's kingdom and within his church, there, there is no partiality. There's no one who we should not give Christ to. There is no one who we shouldn't give grace to. God will save whomever he desires, and he has the power and desire to save everyone who is far off from his righteousness. And he desires for people to come directly to him through faith in Jesus Christ. And he grants that by the power of the Spirit. It's pretty cool to take a step back and see all that God is doing here. God speaks to Cornelius and sends people. God speaks to Peter and sends him to Cornelius. And together there, Peter speaks of God and God gives his Spirit to everyone in the room. Amazing how when you just take a step back, God is not only orchestrating all of this, but God is not passive. He is incredibly active in the fact of saving these people for himself. God here is using Peter to give the gospel to the Gentiles, and the Spirit falls on the Gentiles like it did at Pentecost. And it changed the world. And we're receivers of it. In this event where the Gentiles can freely become part of the church by their faith, and Jesus as their Savior is so significant that it will repeat, be repeated throughout Acts and throughout all the churches and all the rest of the world that anyone who believes in Jesus, their sins can be forgiven. They can be received as a child of God. Once people who were far off are now children of Yahweh. And Yahweh protects and provides and loves forever and ever his children. It is a very significant moment and the gospels advance. But the message is eternally true in the past and eternally true in the future. God is showing his love by providing new life. And he does that by showing no partiality. And in awe, we just see that his grace is spectacular. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning in awe of your power, in awe of your desire, in awe of your love. Father, we can't believe, for a thousand reasons, we can't believe that we are recipients of your grace. That you showed up in our lives like you did with Cornelius and his household. God, that you provided a messenger for us. That the truth of your son in his death and his resurrection were proclaimed to us. And you gave us eyes that could see and ears that could hear. And Father, we praise you for that how great you are, how kind you are, how marvelous you are. And may our words echo eternally of our love for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.